0: Welcome to The Breadwinners, the podcast about the never-ending hustle and its impact on all aspects of our lives. From our financial life, to our relationships, to our kids, to our health, we're interested in what it takes to keep everything going. This podcast is about women, working, money, and family. And in every episode, we consider the research and share our takes on what we're learning every day about breadwinning. I'm Jennifer Owens. I write about working, wellness, and women, and founded the Working Mother Research Institute. And on most days, I'm joined by my co-host, Raquel Ellison. But on this special episode of The Breadwinners, I'm joined by Kim Seely, who I met maybe 15 years ago when we were just two media babies running Working Mother Media together. As I became editorial director, she was my publisher, and I'll say that we were a pretty strong team together. And since then, Kim has gone on to hold a number of big media sales jobs. And today she's director of sales at Business Wire, which is a huge PR platform that all of us media types rely on to get our big news out. So I say, Welcome, Kim. Hi, Jennifer. So happy to be here. Yet a good excuse for us to hang out and to chat. Yes, yes. Talk about things. So here we yes, are. So yes. So our topic is one that we first talked about on the breadwinners it was one of our very early uh, topics and it was something that prompted you to say hey I have a story to tell and that is the topic of infertility and so we've talked about it I've talked about my infertility issues um, but today we're going to add an a additional factor into the mix and that's race and culture because you know when I was looking up stuff for us to talk about today, that it says some studies say black women may be almost twice as likely to experience infertility as white women. And yet only 8% of black women between the ages of 24 and 44, now we're getting deep, seek Mm. medical attention to get pregnant versus 15% of white women. A, why aren't we all going for help? But why are black women like so less than white women to go ask for help? Let's talk about your story. Of course. The beautiful girl. Your little <laughs> baby girl. Yes.
1: yes, yes, yes. Well, first of all, thank you for giving me this platform. You know, you and I have talked before. I'm very passionate about it because it affected me. It affected friends around me. And I'm just so blessed to say that I have a soon to be five-year-old turning five in August and she's a spitfire. And every time I look at her, I am just so grateful for the journey. And it wasn't an easy one, but I'm glad that I did. I, I experienced it and I learned so much from it. So, When I see these stats, it doesn't surprise me. Um, Me as a Black woman, you know, successful, viewed as, you know, someone who is a go-getter, a winner and, you know, admired, you know, from afar, you know, you have this pressure, right? Like everything's supposed to be perfect. And when I started to discover that I was having issues, um, you know, I didn't really go out and like just tell everyone it was more or less like, Oh my God, what's wrong with me? Like, wait a minute. I should be able to, like, this is part of the equation here. This is part of the puzzle. Like what's happening. And um, you know, going in and meeting with different um, doctors, I think I went to three different practices. And when you're constantly being told like, well, it seems like your egg quality is diminishing or it's, you know, it's definitely seems like it's something on your side, you know, you feel like, oh my God, like, why yes. why did why, why me, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have people around you who are having babies. And I think the fear is that number one, Black women feel like, you know, we're fertile. We sh- should be able to have children, several children. And wh- why is this happening yeah. to us? So I think for me, my experience um is that, you know, when I started the process, I started to try to find resources. And I really found myself talking to, you know, different women, colleagues of mine who had gone through it. And they were the ones who really helped me navigate, you know, finding the right doctors. But the one person that I started with was one of my sorority sisters. She had been trying for eight years and she recommended her doctor. And I started off with him in New Jersey and, you know, went through, I guess I want to say three different rounds and nothing happened. Um, so I worked with different facilities in New Jersey. I went to New York and, you know, of course, finally it happened. I even went overseas, but it definitely was a trying time. And even then, I found that when I would be sitting in the patient, you know, the rooms where they call your name. And that part is always so in right? So you're sitting there and you're like, oh my God, they're going to say my name. And, you know, they say your first name and your, your first name and your initial of your last name. And I remember the, having a few black women who might be sitting in the actual waiting room and our heads would be downed, no communication. We're not trying to network. We're just kind of looking through a magazine. And I think like our heart is beating for this <laughs> name to, you know, whereas what I did notice is that, you know, The white women were definitely like, hey, you've been here? How long have you gone here? Oh, do it. And they were just sharing resources where we had our heads down like, oh, my God, I hope. Okay, let's hurry up and say my name so I can get out of here. And I remember there was a time where I saw someone I knew and (gasps) I wanted to fall under the chair because all I could imagine was. She knows X amount of people, and she's going to probably share that she saw me here. And I felt the embarrassment of it all, right? The the fear of it. So I think it's a lot of um, feeling embarrassed, feeling ashamed, feeling like we're not adding up, feeling that we're not as perfect or we're not as, um, you know, viewed as this like remarkable person that we think we are. And I think that's what happens.
0: Now, are you first generation here? Uh, yes, actually,
1: yes, yes, yes. So that's a great question.
0: Well, like, I got to think that there's, yeah, right? Well, because it's like, so you got the added, you know, uh, Get yourself through college, good girl. Get yourself a career, good girl. Set up your, you know, your life, good girl. Also, achieve this as a first generation American. Do it as a woman of color, you know. Do all this stuff, and then, like, okay, now I'm ready for kids. Boom, you know. Right. It just, I just just realized, as I often do when I talk to people, that there's a whole other layer baked into this for you, for being perfect and wonderful, and right? Not causing
1: trouble, right? <laughs> So so you say that. So I am from a Caribbean culture and family, very kind of old school Caribbean culture. So now you have, um, you know, me being the first to graduate from college, get a master's degree in my family. Okay, so this is, you know, you're put on this pedestal pretty much, right? And you're wow. viewed on this pedestal, but now you have this really dirty secret. And the secret is that you've been trying. And you can't get pregnant. So when you are trying and maybe you're going to the pharmacy to get your, you know, your drugs, what you need. And, but now you have to go take a step further. So now you're doing IVF and now you're in those waiting rooms a little bit longer and now time is going by and you still haven't had a child. And it's kind of like, well, what's going on with her? And I would get the question every time I would go back into my neighborhood. I grew up in Brooklyn and I would get the, Hey, you don't have kids yet. Hey, you're not a mother yet. And I remember my friend telling me the amount of times that she was so depressed after having a you know a process or IVF transfer that didn't work, and getting that question asked, and she felt like they would never knew how close she felt like it was as if she was like slicing her own wrist because every time she was asked that it it was asked at a time where she just got the worst news or she found out that, you know, she wasn't pregnant after taking the test. And I can't tell you the amount of times that I was asked that question. And every time you're asked that question and you don't have the answer to say, no, no, you know, yeah. No, I don't have kids. No, I'm. And I remember, I got to a point where I would say, "When God's ready," that would be my response. Oh, nice. Because what are people going to say, right? You bring in <laughs> God, you bring in God, and it's like, okay, it shuts everything down. So I would say, "When God, when God's ready," and then what, no one would ever attempt to even nice. further, right? So that was my way. But I have to tell you, I would get a deep lump in my throat because. Yeah. Or or I would avoid going to certain places or certain situations where I would see people that I knew would ask that question because I never liked the way it made me feel. Although I knew that it was going to happen for me, I knew it was because I just projected it and I said, this is going to happen. When you're in that moment, you just don't want to, it's like, you got to deal with that every time. And then you walk away feeling, even though you know, you know that you're not like, you're the bomb.com, dot, dot as I would say, right? You're the bomb.com, but you still leave their feeling empty.
0: Oh, well, I always, I think of it uh, for myself. It's the first time that you, you face it. Well, for many of us, it's the first time you face like a chronic condition or your first time you you ask your body to do something and it says, meh, no. And it's, it's a big shock to the system. And, and meanwhile, you still have to show up to work every day. Yep. You have a partner you have to show up to every day. You know, like you have a life and a community to be part of. And it's like, oh, this is so hard.
1: And, and you know what you, when you say about community, you know, at the time when I was faced with this, I was at the best place that this could ever happen. Right. I was at Working Mother Media. Right. Yes. Right? The best place. Right. My career was growing there and a place that I could easily share and be comfortable in a, in a safe space to say hey i'm undergoing fertility treatment yep. but even in that space i still didn't want people to know because i felt like what if it doesn't work and now i've built this oh kind of like oh you're going for fertility and then a year goes by and then two years go by and then you're wondering like you know the burning question is like Or what's happening. And even in that safe space, I still kept it to myself. I think I only told a few people because situations happened where, I don't know, I had to. I think I remember I started one of my treatments. um, I was in a bathroom and I actually started to spot. Mm. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, like something's wrong. And the colleague of mine had just was pregnant as well. Didn't say anything and we both confided in each other. Me saying, I'm spotting, I'm running to the doctor if anyone's looking for me. And she's like, Oh, I'm pregnant. You know, I just did fertility myself and I'm pregnant. And I'm thinking to myself, like, Oh, whoa, this is a lot. Like, and you know, and, and to, so, and, and I bring up that story because I end up miscarrying that same weekend, that same evening. And she went on to have her first child. So sitting there working together and seeing her go through this process, knowing that it could have been something that she and I could have done together, that was really, really hard. And that's, I think that's when I became more close because it was like, what if this doesn't happen now that it brings about more speculation and more questions and more, you know, inquiries on, well, what's going on with your process? And I just didn't want so I think it's, it's a lot of that too, right? It's the yep. pressure of that. And then dealing with Caribbean family, you know, their mindset is like, well, if the ships passed, let the ship pass. I remember my dear dad um, who's in heaven resting um, was like, well, if the ship has passed, this it's passed. Like why are you oh, forcing like you should, this?
0: Yeah. You shouldn't do, you shouldn't tap science for this. I exactly. And he yes. felt that
1: way. Like, why are you using science? What are you, what are you doing? And I remember not saying anything until I really got past the safe zone. And then I started to open up and share with my parents what I had done to get there. But I dare not tell them that I was, you know, injecting injecting needles, injecting needles every night. And, you know, I, I couldn't even have that oh, conversation. Oh, my God.
0: The needles. Oh, my God. The needles. <laughs> the oh needles how uh i don't know did 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 your man have to do any of the needles cuz baby number 1 he had to do the needles cuz he was in the back and that that yeah. is an intimate relationship <laughs> yes
1: yes so let me so let me just say cuz dare i not mention uh my partner who was very um understanding, uh, you yeah. know, it, I'll just say, and, and you know, Jennifer, you know, I, I try to keep it real and everything that I discuss and talk about, and I'm somewhat of an open book to some degree, but you know, when you are faced with this and you discover it and you have a partner who wants children and now you're realizing like, huh, you know, I might not be able to
0: literally deliver dental. on this. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. Right. And, I remember having conversations and saying, "Listen, you know, if this doesn't work, please don't feel like you're stuck." And and, and some and I remember oh. I remember someone saying, "Like, oh my god, you said that!" But for me, you know, my journey and being previously, um, uh, what do you call it? Previously, I, I was gonna say it's called marriage, but I don't even want to call it that. Previously being, <laughs> previously being documented, <laughs> life yeah. um, of having a ritual. Um, yes. Um, I, I, you know, I just didn't want anyone to feel stuck. I didn't want him to feel like he wasn't ready for this. Like, I didn't want anyone to feel forced, right? Because you have to really be involved and engage, right? Because, like you said, it's a very intimate thing. And I remember when we first started discovering that we were not, um, it wasn't happening, he was against the fertility. He was kind of like, again, coming from a Caribbean background, a very strong Catholic background. His thing was like science. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I wanna do this. And I remember thinking like, okay, I understand, you know, we weren't married and I was like, I get it, you know, but this is something I really, really want. So if you want to be part of this journey, you know, great. Yeah. If you don't, I understand. And perhaps that was, you know, being too practical or, or sometimes as I'm called being too rational, but I was just being real about it because I know what it takes. And I remember my doctor, my doctor from NYU, who I end up having the, the positive results with He's also a trained psychologist and he was telling me that couples who come into his office, a lot of them leave divorced because usually the the male cannot handle the trauma of it all. You know, the, the, um, the thought of not being able to fulfill this or complete this job, um, or to be able just to be able to to say I'm a father. And so that was really rough for me. And he would have to, I'll tell you this quick joke, it would be times where I would make him leave work so that he could give me the um, progesterone shots at the same time, because they wanted you to have it around the same time, like give or take within that same hour of each day. And the pressure, I would have the needle set up and I would literally like be waiting and be like, okay, Herb, do wash your hands. You got to get this in because I was so meticulous <laughs> about it. And nope. I remember traveling for work and I had the nurse put round <gasps> circles. And I remember going like, oh my God, I have to do this by myself. And some of my friends was like, oh, I hired a nurse to come in and do it. I'm like, yeah, I am not hiring a nurse to come give me a shot. Like I need to figure this out because I don't have... First of all, I'm yep. not even in that income bracket to have someone come to, my, to like travel with me and give me a shot. And I remember my first time doing it and was like, oh, my God. And I remember like this cringing. But by the time it was over, I was the queen of long needles. I could right. handle it. I would just do it like it became. You know, I, wiped, I walked around with alcohol swabs everywhere, you know, because sometimes I would be in the car and be like, oh, my God, it's eight o'clock. I got to shoot up, you know, and literally in the car, cleaning the needles, doing yep. my dosage, putting it in. But I think all of that just made me more, even more resilient and even more determined to just not give up.
0: It's it's. It's a blessing, the life lesson that comes with that of what you can and cannot do. You know, and look what you did.
1: I remember at times feeling very down. Um, I'm not yeah. going to try to paint this picture like, oh, yes, yeah, I was be. like yeah, happy. Like I'm so We're happy. happy to happening. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say that right because I don't want to paint the wrong picture. What I'm saying is when you're in the fight and you're in the moment you have to keep just looking like how they say, how the eye on the prize, right? And even though I was tired of going to baby showers, at one point I was like, no more baby showers for me. This is too depressing. I can't do it. Cause I tried for close to five years, right? I went from doing IUI to IVF. And I, that was through a whole five years, not to mention the amount of money, okay? That I spent in doing so, right? So But I have to say that in the moment, I just had to keep remembering, like, be happy for others, stay prayerful, stay on the course, and just keep believing that it will happen for you in your time. And it Mm -hmm. sounds easier, like it sounds really easy to say that, but you really, really have to create that mantra for yourself because if you don't, you will go down a hole and it's a deep down, dark hole And you will go down it pretty quickly. And, you know, you you have to really keep that. So, you know, that's one of the things that I felt. And, and, and my, again, I go back to my partner, you know, you need that support, right? Because he didn't give up with me either. And it was tough. It was challenging. I'm not going to say it didn't have a huge weight and impact of our relationship. It definitely caused some bad moments. Um, but, you know, just kind of stuck together and trying, but it really did create some really uncertain and just some really um, unstable times and moments.
0: This is the point where you do need you need women in your life, too. You know, yes. Like where did you find support?
1: So luckily, so I found it in two different pockets. Right. So luckily, I had two friends, very close friends. One is my best friend. The other one's a very close friend of mine as well, who I met through my best friend. Um, they were um, going, they had gone through it um, a little bit before me. And so they were helping me a little bit in terms, but we all had very different cases, right? And then that's when it gets interesting because when one particular protocol didn't work for me, I would have one friend going, oh, I don't think your doctor's doing enough. <laughs> I think he needs to be doing X, Y, Z, but her, her situation was very different from mine. Mm-hmm. Then you have someone else who situation was also very different. So we shared in our stories, but because they didn't live in New York, I had to get the other resources, like my other information from my friends who were actually my white women friends who were going through it as well and you know were having different experiences and they were the ones who kind of gave me the direction of go to this doctor, try yeah. this person. So one of my good friends who had gone through it, she referred me to her acupuncturist who I went to through rounds of of yeah, infertility me too. Yeah, I did the acupuncture and she was the one who provided her, referred her person that I was going to. And then um, I had another friend of one of my other friends who finally called me one day. And when it didn't work out, actually, um, we worked together at some point and she said to me, what are you doing? go to my doctor, stop going to this doctor. I mean, I remember her screaming at me on the phone and I was like, okay. She's like, go to him right now. And that's when I shifted. And when I went over to NYU is when I was met with success. Um, So I'm thankful for for them for kind of just drilling that in me, but it really came from, yeah, two two different groups because of two different situations, you know, more local to give me more of a map here. And also one of them also helped me in figuring out how to finance everything. Right. Because you're paying $20,000 yeah. a pop. Um, and she really helped me to navigate how to go about, you know, as they say, um, what's the saying about uh, I'm fully bad with sayings, but robbing Peter to pay Paul. So she taught me how to rob Peter to Pay Paul and (laughs) create that cycle. And Yeah. yeah, and I and she taught me that as well. So, you know, I had my friends, but honestly, it wasn't something that I shouted out to many people. A lot of friends knew, but I didn't give them details. I didn't get a lot of the information and I did a lot of reading Um, I did a lot of reading and then eventually when I started to become more comfortable in my journey, then I would, I would find it. Then when I would mention it, then my black friend, whether it's my sorority sister or or my girlfriend, then she would reveal, well, you know, I'm dealing with it too. And then eventually we became resources for each other and started sharing information. But I realized that it took me to kind of open it up and, and start the dialogue because, no one was initiating. So then I became the initiator and I found that me becoming the initiator was, it was more or less like releasing people to be able, my friends to share more. And from that, I was able to borrow more resources and more information. And then we created a network, but a very small, Jennifer, I have to say very tiny. Thankfully, all of the folks that I'm mentioning here were actually moms, right? Because that was always a thing, right? What if I never become, I'm part of this, you know.
0: Sisterhood this, this of, yeah. This group,
1: yeah. And what if it doesn't happen for me? And that was, that was always a very scary thing. It's almost like you were in competition a little bit. Yeah. But not really happy for others, but like, God, I hope I this know. happens for me. And I remember one of my girlfriends was pregnant with her second. She didn't want to tell me. She was so uncomfortable in telling me and that made me feel really bad because I didn't want anyone to feel that they had right. to close in on their joy because of my circumstance. So that's when I realized that I needed to be more open and give people also a safe space that they can discuss it with me, too, and not feel fearful because of my, you know, what
0: I'm dealing with. Right. Right. That my, my story doesn't mean that your story can't be joyful. Exactly, right? Exactly. Well, so what do you think about it it only can get better in in the sense of being open about this. Like you, like what we wish for the next generations of the of moms, black moms, white moms, all the moms trying to conceive. You know, as Carol our old boss used to say, pre-moms. Pre-mom. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was a pre-mom for a long time.
1: Yeah. Um me too. so for the pre-moms, um I would go back. So I'll share a quick story. Um, There was a friend of mine who, she's a mommy now, so very happy for her. But I remember engaging her in conversation when she kind of was trying, but not really feeling like, ah. And I remember talking to her about it. And um, then we didn't talk about it for a while. And then circled back and she shared a little bit more. And I just... I just kept telling her, like, just keep your energy and your spirit up. You know, for pre-moms, I would say, you know, once you know that this is what you want, just, just, you know, focus, try to find all avenues, talk to people. That's why I'm hoping that this platform is only the beginning for me. Because yeah. when I see the new generation of of these, you know, pre-moms who are well You know, tracking in their career, just like I was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, also trying to find a man, you know, trying to find someone right to even have this union with. Um, And I would say to them, number one, I'm a big advocate of getting your eggs frozen. Um, I think that if you are at the if you are at a point where you are able to afford that um I don't think there's any harm in doing so I think it's also learning about your history I never knew that my mom's history would affect me I never asked the questions my mom went into menopause very early um I had no idea I, I never thought I would have that especially we didn't talk we didn't have those kind of open conversations anyway but so I never imagined that that was the case. And so my egg quality was diminishing um, at a rapid rate than, you know, the average Mm. 35 year old or 40 year old. So learn history, right. Learn your, learn your, your mother's history. Um, check your levels. You know, when you go to the doctor, just see what your levels are at. Look, I never knew about that. Just trying to find out where my FSH hormone level was. I never thought to even ask those questions. So I think it's just really understanding your medical history, you know, talking to your doctor very early to understand options and just, you know, whoever you decide to be a a marry, a partner with, you know, making sure that you guys are on the same page in terms of, Hey, listen, having the conversation, right? Like what if this isn't a slam dunk, you know? Yeah. How do you feel that you, in terms of fortitude, how do you feel that you're going to, you, you, you need a partner that's going to be ready because listen, they have to go in these little rooms when it's time to execute. Yep. And that can take a lot on a male coming out and feeling like, what the hell? Not everyone is built for that. And you have to make sure that you are with someone who will be understanding and will be able to roll with the punches because there are going to be a lot of punches if the first attempt doesn't work, right? right? So I think having someone who's compassionate, who's just as focused to have a family and will stand behind you. And, and stand behind you to give you a needle, yep. stand with you to hold your hand when you get good news, when you get bad news. I, I think for pre-moms is being educated and just reaching out, finding your, your resources, finding the people that you can talk to and not feeling afraid, fearful, or feeling embarrassed or feeling that you haven't achieved. Mm-hmm. Um, Got to get that in your mind to know that you are, Worthy of it, just just as anyone else is. And yeah. I'll say this, you know, in closing, is that I remember going through one of my um, procedures that didn't didn't it didn't take, and I was being wheeled into this other room um, because um, I had actually uh, miscarried, and I had miscarried twins. And yeah, and that was awful. And um, so they called it, you know, twin A, twin B. And I remember being wheeled into one of the rooms and this nurse, a black woman, black nurse, she looked at me and she said, don't give up. okay? don't give up. I did. And I regret that I did. But you don't give up. And I remember lying there with these bright lights and you know, everything's happening so fast. And, um, you know, you, the smell of the room and you're taking that all in. And I just remember exactly the emotion. You, you know, you're like, here I am again, you know, being wheeled into another room and, you know, yep. nothing happening. And I remember her saying to me, and I, I can't, Jennifer, I can't see her face. I, I just can remember her saying it in my ear. And that motivated me so much. So when oh my I look God. Yeah, when I looked at the fact that she said that to me, she was older and she probably, that was her way of giving back to me to say, yep. hey, let me, pass on. Yep. Yeah, let me pass on this wisdom to this young girl who I see in myself and I don't want her to give up. So for me, I would say to all the pre-moms, whether you're trying, you're on your first, second, third attempt, or whatever the case, just don't give up. Don't give up because- when I see my daughter and I see her growth and I look and I look at her every day if I had given up I would not know the joy the delight the 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 love that is like no other I would never be able to experience that and not to take away from moms who adopt or you know a mom is a mom but I would never understand that process and that feeling of delivering my daughter had I given up. So that would be my advice to not give up. And, um, just, just, if you can see it, if you can visualize it and with prayer, it will happen where whatever universe that you pray to just keep it in prayer. And that would be my, my words of, um, wisdom and, advi- and advice yeah.
0: well thank you for joining us on the breadwinners today um, everyone our guest today was breadwinner Kim Seely, and everything that we talked about today we have a lot of, uh, of research that we were kind of referencing is in the episode description wherever you listen to the podcast visit us anytime at the breadwinners podcast.com to ask a question share your story or offer some feedback how are you making it work we'd love to know Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and rate and review it. Let us know what you think about the breadwinners. Help us tell the stories that mean the most to you. And until next week, keep hustling.
1: This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM Network.